10 games into the season, and we're already asking, is Luka at this point in his career better than LeBron at this point in his career? Now, a lot of people isn't asking that, but I know you've seen somebody say that, and you asked it to me. This was earlier today when we were, um, you know, pre-showing or whatever. Right. <laughs> but when I think about that, and um, I think that's kind of – I think – you know, people are, I don't mind, I'm not one of those people, I don't mind just comparing errors because at the end of the day, it's all the NBA. We're comparing, as far as skills and talent go, we're comparing on a, um, on a fair criteria. I understand rule changes and how players adapted to the game and the adaption of the game to the players is another thing. You know, that's a different argument. But that's, I'm still saying this to say that I don't think Luka was better than LeBron this early on. I think the way that the game is played offensively allows Luka to show skills this early on that maybe LeBron didn't get a chance to all the time. Because, you know, it's always this thing about, remember when LeBron went to Miami, they said, uh, no, he might average a triple-double there. And I was like, nah, maybe not. Because I don't think the game was played fast enough or was open enough for it. But Luka has a chance. Not saying Luka's going to average a triple-double this year. But Luka has a chance to, um, you know, just show those skills on a more nightly basis, Right, I guess. So, no, he isn't better. He's necessarily better just the way the game plays. He gets to show those things off. But shout out to Luka because he's the first player since Will Chamberlain to have eight straight 30-point games in the first 10 or right, something like season. That. Yeah, yeah, start of season. Also, shout out to Luka for that as well. Shout out to Jokic, the um, pass Will Chamberlain and triple doubles, triple doubles for a center. You know, there's a lot of history with Will Chamberlain. You know, some big history. You still got to pass him sometimes. Exactly, right. Uh, first of all, I want to say I was—I I believe I was the first person saying that Jokic was doing some Wilt Chamberlain type stuff with his stats, outside of the scoring, obviously just being astronomical. Um, then the LeBron Luka thing is—is is just funny. Uh, you know, we talked about that in a minute uh, earlier, kind of off air. Uh, just going into detail with like some of the stuff that Luka accomplished. That if he came up in America. He probably would be like, you know, kind of an equivalent to what LeBron was, but also just as a matter of forgetting, we so far away. LeBron's so old now, no disrespect. <laughs> we so far away from when LeBron first came into the league. You forget that he goes from 20 to 27 to 31 points per game in his first three years. So, you know what I mean? Just from the stats aside, you know what I mean? Le- LeBron was one of the best ever. And Luka's trending towards that way, too. So, so you know what I mean? I don't think it's disrespect towards LeBron, honestly. I think it's just a matter of how good Luka is. He's currently averaging 36 points per game. Now, if he's going to keep that up all year, we'll see or whatever. But, you know, LeBron was different coming out. But Luka is a – I'll say this. He still has a long way to go, especially to even – to even slightly accomplish half the things that LeBron did would be amazing for anybody's career. But Luca's a worthy uh, person to mention with LeBron. I will say that about Luca, so I respect that. But I don't think so far in his career he's been better than LeBron was his first five. But he's been amazing, to oh. say the least. Oh, yeah. And he could, he, yeah, he he's a triple-double threat to average every year or whatever. No, yeah, for sure. And with that being said, I'm John W. Fresh X. And we are the Hoopers. And you did make a good point about the game not being as fast then. So it was – I I respect the triple-doubles, but it, it at the end of the day, it, it's way easier. I, I try to say that without sounding disrespectful toward the game or making it seem like it's watered down. But just with how it's played, faster, more jump shots – 
it's easier to get a triple double now because of the pace. Right. And shout out to Luca because Luca go Luca goes down there to get up offensive boards as well. So, you know, shout out to him because like say just doing that for his team. But you said something um, that I want to touch on because it's something that's been a topic of conversation as far as basketball go on a prep level for maybe the last six years or so, five six years. But um. You know that you know you said Luca. You know if he came up in America, he'd have been you know as big as you know he'd have been as big as LeBron is over here. It's like you know when LeBron came out, LeBron was a phenomenon. Like, right, the chosen yeah. one. Right. We remember Sports Illustrated. Right, yeah, that, like it was a really literally the first of his kind, especially with no social media. Right. So he hit. So it was a lot of people. You know, with Luca, with, when it came to Luca, because he was a foreign player. Um, we had seen some foreign players who were touted out to be this great, these great players, but they didn't necessarily pan out. So it was a lot of play for Rashad Phillips, who thought Luca at best was really just a second round talent. We were just hyping him up because he was, you know, he was European, which you see a lot. And I'm getting to, I'm gonna get to the point. But to you know, players like Luca, Jokic, Giannis. Those aren't those are the exceptions, and when I say the exceptions, we hear about how you know European basketball, especially on the right. high school prep level, is kind of past America because everybody's so down on AAU now. And I try not to get into this because this is one of those. It's not politics, but it's like basketball politics, regardless of how you feel about it. Yeah, but definitely that. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that European basketball is better than American prep basketball. I think they're allowed to do other things because that's how they have to adjust those players. That's how those players are. Like, no, they aren't as athletically gifted, but that don't mean players over here aren't as skilled gifted. So they only have, you know, they're only going off skills, but that's not the point. But it's like, we talk so down on, you know, so on our prep scene, even though we love these players, like these players are gonna be the number one picks and all this, but it's like, how do y'all talk down on while still trying to raise them up? And y'all talking down to not necessarily competition, but to players who even consistently haven't shown us they're going to be MVP level players. Right, exactly. So it was like, what are we looking at that? What is it like? What are y'all looking at that make it say it's better? I get it. There's some sloppiness in AAU, but AAU isn't the only prep basketball, not even necessarily for the summertime. The main thing that, that people are looking at, and we can go to something else after this, but uh, yeah. <laughs> they're just looking at that because the top three play. You could argue that the top three players, even four, if you want to put Joel and B, even though he played basketball over here in America, they, they're going to say that the top three players are are uh, foreign players, and because they're also on record of saying that they think the NBA uh, parts of the NBA is easier. And my, I have two rebuttals that I stick to that period. Um, there are also foreign players who begin to, like I heard Evan Fournier, he was one of a few that complained about the rules in the Eurobasket saying that they need to catch up to the NBA, meaning to stop calling things certain ways how they call it. And also, it's always going to be harder over there in your native countries because when you're over here in the NBA, you're playing with NBA players every day. Our worst players that are our starters over there, and that just is what it is. Um, and lastly, just if you the top three, you can't argue the top three players are foreign players, but on that list of the top hundred players in the NBA, the majority of them are American, so we still winning. 
And like I said, we can end it. They right. getting good though. Shout like, out they to get, them. Yeah, it's not we, disrespect. We need some though. competition. Make yeah. it, make it, <laughs> make it too easy. Nah, yeah, make it fun. <laughs> but I feel like, like I say, just like. Maybe because maybe some of these people don't know they're not of a generation where they realize how much summer basketball there is where it's not all just AAU. Right. But basketball is a global game though, and that is amazing because it's amazing because everyone can participate. Right. And it provides opportunities for people to go get jobs overseas. So that's the main thing that I appreciate about it being global. You can you cannot make it to the NBA and that don't mean your basketball career. Is over. One thing on from a positive I would want to say then I wish I would like for the NBA to get into more of their I know they have there's a G League but even like we always say the junior academy, like bringing the junior NBA up to where it's a straight tunnel to the NBA, because that's what it's that's what it's supposed to be for anyway. So right. I feel like I think they, it's on the way to that. Right. Yeah, it is definitely is, but I feel like that's the only part of the game where Europe has figured it out over the over American basketball how to funnel it all, how to funnel the talent all to one place and through one narrow lane. But exactly. To get into the NBA season, the defending champion Golden State Warriors. Shout out to the range they got this year because they were just as crazy as the other three. But they've been struggling so far this year at three and seven. Of course, it's early in the year. Regardless, you don't want to, you don't necessarily want to get off to a slow start. You like to get off to a good pace, especially so you can't pace your older players later in the season. They set out the other night in a loss to um I think it was Orlando. Was it Orlando? I believe so. But I seen somebody bring up how maybe the Jordan Poole, Draymond Green incident was a little tougher than, you know, was weighing a little more on the team than, you know, they would like to put out there or we would like to think. To see Golden State coming out struggling this early when I know a lot of fans of basketball, not necessarily the media, had, you know, still had them as kind of favorites. To see them coming out with, you know, at three or seven. Does this derail what they're planning on doing this year? Or even how they look at the roster long term? Right. And but about the Jordan Poole and Draymond thing, you can see how that lingers, how it can mess up the vibe. But I, I will also acknowledge that it's easy to say that when they're not being successful. So it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, he punched that man. So now everything ain't cool. Um, man. It's real early, so you can't. You, I'm not too concerned with them, honestly. Right. But how it, it also gets to a point where you say, "How long can you say that?" <laughs> you know what I mean? How long is it not too early? When do we acknowledge some of the issues and they kind of fi- fixed it? And uh, the the roster, we all knew it was going to be a little bit different this year because they the pieces they lo- they lost Otto Porter, Gary Payton. I, I feel like they were more important than they got credit for. Steph, Steph won a championship for them. Salute to them. But things was different when you had GP3, GP2 in the game because of what he was going to provide defensively. And then he he played his role offensively. Like, he, he was he was a big impact. Otto, you know, I've always loved Otto from Georgetown to when he was with the Wizards and things like that. I always loved what he provided to the team. I know he got his check and he didn't quite live up to it. Injuries and just other reasons that he didn't live up to it, not playing completely well. Um, but he he's always been who he is as in a solid three-point shooter and a defender. Like, he's always been solid in those two things, and I feel like that really helped him. So, who, I guess for me, it's like who kind of replaced those two this year because you lost that, but are, is anybody giving that back to them? And, you know, they, they played an important role in winning the championship, in my opinion. Um Hmm. I thought Kaminga would be playing more this year. Because remember, we did the, the early part, and I thought 
Moody would be the one that Mike got lost in the sauce. That's what I said. So I clearly was wrong, and I want to, you know, stand on that. Uh, at least put that out there that I said that. But is it, you know, the Kaminga thing has been kind of weird. Uh, with Kaminga, I've heard, I, you know, later to the offseason, there was reports about, you know, quote unquote maturity issues. Like, I don't know. I'm not a Golden State guy. I live in Atlanta, so I'm not necessarily tapped into Golden State media and their team like that. But I know that was one of the things that was flowing on Twitter, but that's one of those things. I just missed it. I did. When I see stuff like that on Twitter and not from a verified source, which is gonna be hard to distinguish after Elon Musk just bought Twitter and what he's gonna do with the with the with the check. But I think it's just I don't know. So because I feel like they got rid of Otto Porter. You get rid of Otto Porter and Gary Trent because you expect Kaminga and Moody to come in and do the same things they did. Play defense. Moody is probably I mean Moody is probably a better shooter than Gary Payton. But Gary Payton attacked the rim coming off a lot of those screens or just being coming attacking from the corner. And you expect Kaminga to come in defensively. Sitting behind Dre, Otto Porter, learned from Dollar for a year, figured, you know, some shooting, not, you know, a little bit of shooting, but some playmaking, especially off those dribble handoffs and whatnot, and off the, you know, pass off that first pick. So maybe he's just not, I don't know, I can't always blame coaches when players not getting minutes. Maybe he's not in practice showing the development that he should be showing, right? I, you know how I feel about that too. Like, I, I feel like it's that too, because they, with losing, those players, they kind of need them. So, um, Steve Kerr kind of needs to play him. He, he, I feel like he would want to play him if he, if it was there for him to be played. But if you're not showing us, you know, what I mean, and that is what it is. And then, you know, obviously, um, another thing is, you know, Clay has had his struggles. Obviously, he's trying to get back into it or whatever. Um, so I think that has has hurt them. You know what I mean? Draymond is James Wiseman to the offense. Right, James Wiseman. He he's been he's been something new that they've added to the team. But you can even still see kind of the adjustment with him, um, or whatever. But all in all, I think they get it together. I think you have to figure out those those minutes that you lost, and not even just those minutes, just that, that impact. You need you need those players to step up. Right. Um, those players that are stepping up. That, that replaced those roles. Um, you know, Steph is averaging 30. That's nice. <laughs> 31 <laughs> a game from Steph, 41% from three. So they're the champs. I'm not worried about them. They're going to make some adjustments. I expect Kaminga to figure it out because the Warriors have stock in him. I think they want him to be a part of the future, at least that's what I thought initially. Um, so I feel like they figure it out. Um, but, you know, I'll ask you real quick, have you seen the stories? I never believe this stuff because this type of stuff don't even ever even come out. But what you think about, uh, it says that, I saw it on Twitter too, uh, so I don't remember exactly where the page that came from, so my bad for putting this out there and not knowing exactly where it was from. But uh, it said that Steph and Clay would be okay if they moved on from Draymond. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Twitter, and you haven't seen that? No, I haven't. Even as a hypothetical question, I get it. I don't get it right now in real time because you're still trying to win a championship. So it's like, would Steph and Clay really be ready to shake up? Because if you lose Dre, if you trade Dre right now, it's like, regardless of how good of a player you think he is, 
are you going to get back any of the qualities he brings to the team and like right, either specifically in, on court, in, right? If nothing person, else, right? In one person or multiple players to where it fits and it's not, you know, it doesn't take too much chemistry away from the team. But hypothetically, I can see it because I don't like just value in the playoffs. And while the playoffs, you know, I get that the playoffs is also a measuring tape for is does he stack up to be this type of player when he retires? But I think somewhere down the line, in between that, you know, that last, that the championship loss in 2019, the championship, the last championship win in 2018, and those two years where they were just not necessarily the best team, I think Dre got complacent and he's comfortable. You can't take anything away from his career because it's all on the resume. It's all facts. It's all printed in hieroglyphic ink. So what are you going to say that he can't dispute? He doesn't care that you're going to say he didn't score points. That wasn't his job. He only ain't going to care if you say, well, you can't even get us 10 rebounds because that wasn't his job. Right. His job was to be a defender and a leader regardless of, you know, how you felt about his leadership and his off-the-court things, you know, with his attitude. Not necessarily his attitude, but how he approached situations. So I can definitely see Steph and Clay thinking it could it could also help us because maybe we can bring in a player that does more. Right. For and us. I guess my thing about that is the player that theoretically I would think replaces Draymond is a player that's not even playing right now. So Kaminga, he's the next four that's mm. in line, honestly. Um, right. I mean, it wouldn't be wise. Right, right, like, right, 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 Looney's not hurting them, even this year. No, Kavar Looney is a solid of a player in the history of the NBA of solid most, players. The most solid. <laughs> like, he, I know what I'm going to get from him. I know and he's going to show like up. His game is still developing to now where they put him in those dribble handoff situations and let him make decisions. Exactly. But I feel like Kaminga would be, because he's a four, he would be the next man up as far as replacing Draymond. If he's already not from playing. Outside. Like, even like if you trade Draymond, what do you trade Draymond for? Right. It's like who you trade Draymond for. And if Kaminga's not ready, you know, I don't care about the rah-rah stuff, but I respect Draymond's intellect and how he's been in this office for 10 years. He knows how it runs. He knows every single angle of it. If this player isn't even playing, how, how can he play in it? Already and be ready to improvise on the spot like Draymond. I, I'm not gonna take that away from Draymond his, his and how smart he is with making the right pass, knowing when to be aggressive. Yeah, sometimes he just shoot more, but him mastering knowing how to run that offense and mastering can't his just role lose that in the middle right. of the season. Yeah, him mastering his role as connective tissue in that offense is is why he's going to the Hall of Fame. Exactly. But yeah, I guess even and no, I ain't team Draymond at all. But right, but it's, it's crazy. But I guess. All right, we trade Draymond because, like I say, just to, you know, end it right here on Golden State. But it's like we trade Draymond. We know we're probably not going to get back as far as intellectually on the court we're going to get. Does Steve Kerr modify the offense? We've seen basically we go to the finals and know you can't run this all year with because right. that's not how y'all been playing basketball since you've been there. But you think Steve Kerr goes to more – when Steph is on the ball, high pick and roll. Now he is, a, you know, high, you know, high, um, you know, high assists, high scoring, right. maybe even high turnovers again. Right. Or do you just say, you know, we gonna keep with the offense and hopefully they pick it up as we go? Because I still do have enough of my core here. And what's crazy is Steph could Steph is Steph. No, yeah, I hear what nobody's saying. He's the best player in the league right now. I'm still on that, <laughs> but. As much as he was still dominating that offense, 
Steph is still the best when he's not just on the ball, just because he's so lethal as a shooter. He's so lethal moving without the ball, tiring the defense. That, that, that like this team. That, that alone. He's, he, Steph is going to be straight up easier to defend. And he's still going to bust him for 30, but he's straight up going to be – <laughs> easier to defend if he's just on the ball all game. No, facts. So it's like you gotta put him off the ball, like off the ball network. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just stuff. It's a lot of stuff you gotta consider. So hypothetically, it's a good question, but practically, it's not the best question to be asking right now. Yeah, nah. Mm-hmm. NBA basketball, ten games in. The Milwaukee Bucks are the last undefeated team in the NBA. How far are they pushing it? That's my question. I'm not gonna lie. Before they beat Minnesota the other night, I think it was, um, I was sitting and thinking, like, could they go 73 and 8? 73 and 8? My bad, 74 and 8. 74 and 8, could they? No, they can't. But I feel like they could possibly push it to maybe get the first. What they going to say start off that year? Like 25 and 1? Something like that, yeah. I don't see that happening because. Got to start at least 18 and 0. You're right. That's first and foremost. I don't have where there. They are. I can see the stretching to like 14, 15. Maybe I don't think they're going to get 7-4. Chris Middleton not even back yet. And I think that's why they won't stretch it to 74 and 8. I feel like what they're getting from the team is because Chris Middleton isn't there. And you're not – while you're asking Giannis to do more, he's okay with – it doesn't look – it doesn't seem like he's doing more. Right now, I think the five of um, Drew Holiday, Javon Carter, Grayson Allen, Giannis – and um, Bobby Portis, they got like a offensive rating of like 113, a defensive rating of like 87.3, and some other crazy stuff. So it's like they found if you couldn't have another player on your, if you couldn't have a player like Chris Middleton on your roster, they've done their best to replace what Chris Middleton has done with two players because Javon Carter and Grayson Allen. I don't even like Grayson Allen. I can I like Javon Carter or Grayson Allen. <laughs> but they're both providing. I like Javon Carter on the basketball court. I just don't like Grayson Allen. Yeah, I don't like Grayson Allen face. But um, they're both providing great shooting, great defense. They're not turning the ball over. You not, they're not asking them to be clutch players, but they're hitting these shots when they matter. Drew Holiday has been a lot better this year. Brooke Lopez in that starting lineup as the five offensively and defensively has made a, you know, has made a um, big difference than last year without him. And I think – I know Bud won a championship a couple years ago, but I feel like Bud now to where he know, all right, I'm good now. I can, As a coach, he's okay in Milwaukee. He can retire in Milwaukee if he so choose to. I think he's running this team to the best he's ever ran a team, and that's even with that 60-win Hawks team here, you know, back in um, 2014-15. Yeah, so the next 11 games are pretty tough, so it's going to be hard to go undefeated over this. They got the Hawks, OKC, Spurs, Hawks again, Cleveland, Philly, Portland, Chicago, Cleveland again, mm. Dallas, New York. Mm. So, you know, that's what they got coming up. Um, Milwaukee is a team that, you know, a lot of people, you can always play the if game with the injuries because I can say that if injuries didn't happen, they wouldn't have went to the finals uh, that year. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people think if um, you know, Middleton doesn't get hurt, they have a better chance of getting to the finals last year. And I can't dispute that because this team just does everything the right way. They play, they play right. Uh, they have smart players that play hard on both ends of the court. Drew Holiday is often one of the most underrated players in the league. Giannis is, to most people, the best player in the NBA. I won't argue with him that he's not. 
Um, Brooke Lopez hooping this year, uh, being healthy because remember he was hurt uh, a lot last year. Mm-hmm. So being healthy and being available to them, I think has been an important part, especially this early in the year of not having um, not having Chris Middleton. And then, like you just said, Bud's control of the team and just control of knowing himself. He won the championship his way and things like that. So I think he just get comfortable. Uh, you know, he's just been comfortable since then. So, you know, the Bucks are, are there. They will be, if you're going right now, the better favorite to come out of, e- out of the East, I would say, especially being led by Giannis and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, this – it's it's a long season, but they they improve. They already in cruise mode. Nah, yeah, for sure. Then, like I say, um, who knows how the team dynamics gonna change when Chris Middleton gets back? But that's the thing you gotta you know he he gotta factor in getting this rust off and working mm-hmm. him back into the offense. Right, right. And it's like, and he also this is also a contract year for him as well. I think um, he has a team option at the end of the year. Not thinking, my bad. He has a player option. Who has, who gets a team option as a veteran? But no, nah, uh, he's up for an extension. So Middleton, right? right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a lot of things. A lot of things I got to factor in until, you know, how long this streak goes. Like I said, I think that Dallas game is going to be tough for him. I think the Cleveland game, I think with their size, Atlanta might start off tough, but it might not finish off being, you know, you know it might not end that way. But anybody on any given night can catch him slipping. Maybe Bud decides to sit Giannis for a night just to give him some rest so who knows how long the streak can go but I hope it goes for a while because I don't think we've had a team show dominance like this since uh who knows when like this is like to start off a season rolling like that without your second best player you know one of the best two-way players in the league is amazing honestly it's like right. at the end of the day go to when they you know that 2015 16 7 3 and 9 going to 18 steve kerr was out but the system when the players were still there so mm-hmm. that was easy to keep could keep rolling so to see how they do this year i would like to see him i would like maybe see him get up to 20 games but i got it at 15 i got it at 15. i'll tell you what though young jeezy voice with these next games coming up if they go through <laughs> They they make it through these games like because I guess they they on Monday they they're in Atlanta. That's the time um, when y'all hear this. It'll be Monday. They they in Atlanta to face the Hawks and the Hawks always play them well. Mm-hmm. Trey Young, Dejounte Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean the Hawks just always play the Bucks well. And that's a tough team. That's that's a good win. And then OKC Shea's averaging thirty right now. But obviously, I feel like they come out of that with a win. Uh, then the Spurs, they should beat the Spurs because they're a team that's not going to take them lightly. But then you get the Hawks again, and then Cleveland, and then Philly. Like, even without uh, James Harden, you still got to go through Tyrese Maxey and be, you know what I mean, maybe it's one of those nights where Tobias shows up and gives them 18. Philly, Philly's a tough game, and right after that, yeah, for sure. Portland. We see what Portland's doing so far. They're playing well. Even when Dane's not on the court, they're still a competent team, which is all Dane can ask for. Be solid when I'm not there. And then when we there, we when I'm there, let's see what we can do. Let's go, all right. But then Chicago, you got to deal with Zach Levine. You got to deal with DeMar DeRozan. Mm-hmm. Um, then Cleveland again, and then Dallas. That's, that's a tough team. Yeah, so. yeah, that's a tough team. If, if they win those, 
I would respectfully say a, you should start talking about high sixties to seventy wins. If they win, if they start off if undefeated, they win all of those, I don't think they're gonna win all. If of they those. start off undefeated going into December, December second game against the Los Angeles Lakers, so the last game on that stretch will be the Knicks. That'll put them at twenty and up. They're going seventy four and eight. I'm calling it today. But the speaker of the Cleveland Cavaliers, like I said, who they have, twi- who Milwaukee has twice in each stretch of games. I don't. I think Cleveland has been better than people not named John W. have thought they were going to be. I know a lot of people saw this trade and were like, oh, well, you know, they're not, you know, still two little guards. Defensively, y'all probably going to suffer because, Lord. Too young. Right, too young, all this, that, and the third. Which, which real quick, my bad, but they, they are a young team, obviously. But who is this overly? Like, these, these guys, I mean, Mobley is, this is his first year, but, like, Harris been in the league six years. Yeah, out of five years. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, how long has Donovan been in the league? Donovan, five years. Y'all been in the league? Y'all going on six years in the league? To speak on that, all of their key players have been to the playoffs. Garland's been to the playoffs. Jared Allen's been to the playoffs twice. Karis Vert's been to the playoffs twice. Donovan Mitchell's been to the playoffs five straight times. Kevin Love's the champion. Um, and somebody else on this team. City, I think J.D. Oseman made that. Was yeah, on that 2018. He's on, on that 2018 team. team. But this team is so. Even having Robert Lopez as far as like Robert Vets. Lopez, um, shot Ricky Rubio whenever he gets back. But this team is so well. Coach, shout out to J.D. Bickerstaff, who I'd be, I be underplaying sometimes because I don't think he's a championship level head coach. But yep, I I've think, said that before too. I, do think, a, I, said that before. I do think he's a really good coach. I'm not saying that. I just don't think. When it's time for this Cleveland team to really excel, like how do we get to the next level? It's not going to be players. That's what they not, do it this year. Yeah, yeah right. Let's say do it this year. Do it this year, and he really proved <laughs> boom. And that's, they, like, if it take a couple years, he's not. It's not to take a job from another black from a black man. But I just don't think JV Bickerstaff. I think he's a better top assistant than he is a head coach because he understands certain things with players. But this Cleveland team is looking like they could easily be a home court advantage. And um, you know maybe a conference finals team, if that happens, we know this is a long season. But Darius Garland came back against that ball, against Boston. Him and Donovan Mitchell showed that even if it's one game, they can play well together. Evan Mobley still looks great. Karis LeVert looks like a, looks great off the bench. Kevin Love looks like he's trying to win six man. Looks like he's trying to contend for six man of the year again. Jared Allen is still throwing his name in there, the All Star, and maybe all defensive defense player of the year type player. I said at one point before this is when when this when Darius Garland's hurt, you know, to start this early season off, that Cleveland could possibly look at be looking at three to four All Stars depending on how the season goes. Of course, we're not going to predict that, but do you think with the way Cleveland's gone, be able to play offense and defense? Do you think this is a success that they can sustain for over a whole year, maybe even the playoffs? Definitely. For one, I think it helps. That's why I always love young players when they're in winning situation when they're young. To trade for Donovan Mitchell, who, yeah, he hasn't made it to the finals. He hasn't made it to the Western Conference Finals. But he's had a standard of making the playoffs and not clawing his way into the playoffs. Like, we're in the playoffs. We're trying to compete. You add that to a team that was comfortably in the playoffs last year before the injuries happened. And then, yeah, you fall into the play-in or whatever. But they were they were building winning ways. That the the only question is is the quote unquote inexperience because they don't have other than Kevin Love a champion, which always helps though because that's always usually what is lost in those teams that are too young. They don't have a champion on the roster or even a player that's been to the championship. So that you have a champion, someone that's been to multiple championships on the roster, 
are the only question is are they ready to really take that step and show that the inexperience isn't as big as a factor as people try to make it because you know Donovan Mitchell has his has had his faults in the past but he he's a team basketball player but he's also has that superstar in the way he knows how to take over you know I don't know people have put the label on him with him like, I guess sometimes just shooting too much or inefficiently shooting. You know, he'll take tough shots because he's a tough shot maker. He's one of those guys. He going, I don't got to thought Yeah, he's one of those guys. But, like, I never viewed him as a ball hog or somebody that don't want to play off the ball. Or even if he's not your number one defender, he's not trying to defend. He, he brought good team attributes to this team on top of him just being a phenomenal player. Right. And then you got Garland who – Garland's just mm-hmm. like he having fun every time. He dribbled the ball. Like, he, he, I don't know what music is playing. It is here, but he let me dancing right. on the court. The only thing that I thought would be different this year, that I think still in my, I'm gonna say I think still takes him to the next level, is Evan Mobley taking the next step. He's the key to me. Mm-hmm. That okay. if he, the next step that he's taking because they need him to take his next step because I know what I'm gonna get out of Garland and I know what I'm gonna get out of Donovan Mitchell. I even know what I'm going to get off the bench with having Kevin Love, who's going to contend for the sixth man of the year. Karras is a player that can go off for 40 from time to time. You know, I don't love him as much as other people, but I, I respect what he can bring to the court. Cleveland is a – they are a viable team in the East that could make the Eastern Conference Finals. But the main thing is they have to have health on their side and they have to continue to get better. Making it to the Finals, I think, is on another player – taking that leap and I think it's Evan Mobley but it's still another level for Garland to go to so maybe he turns it up 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 and then we talking another conversation nah yeah for sure like, so I think this Cleveland team is really this Cleveland team is really they're gonna be fun and I think that's an element that we have to as basketball enthusiasts fans media members we have to stop you know going oh they're too young to do this because at the end of the day it's not a young man's league, but the way these young players are coming to the league, that's not... a middle aged man's league. You start getting fifty six years. That's who's going to no, the finals. No, no, that, that's definitely <laughs> it's definitely a middle aged man's league as far as NBA years go. But these young players aren't necessarily, while they're not disrespecting the older veteran teams that are still good, they're not scared of them. Like they're not coming right. out. They don't look at Golden State as this unbeatable team like how the media did when they had Kevin Durant. Like. Y'all not unbeatable. Y'all, y'all a team just like we a team. Like, right, exactly. They coming out and they going at them, and I think that's really the difference. And I also think that's why that's the competitive edge that makes teams like this better. Like Maybe they're not a home court advantage team to some people, but with the competitive edge and the talent that they have, they're going to play like that every night. And yeah. I honestly think that's the difference. Yeah, Cleveland is, Cleveland is legit, and more than anything, they're, they're really fun to watch because they're – they're fun to watch on both sides of the ball, and uh, that's kind of rare. No, nah, yeah, see. Sure. Nah, yeah, definitely for sure. You're going to see lives and blocks all game. <laughs> he crossover. Somebody getting a shot block, and then they throwing a hoop on the other side. I want to watch that. I mentioned talking off spin moves on everybody. Oh, man, excuse me. I've been saying something lately, and I find it to be funny. Um, of course, you know, quite. Kawhi Leonard missed all last year because of the ACL injury. It was expected to be fully ready to go this year, but that doesn't necessarily seem like that's what's panic out. But I'm pretty sure he's trying to get out there every day. I seen a quote, and I'm just gonna say, you know, just the gist of the quote because this is the part I've been saying a lot from a lot of people. Um, and the quote is from Paul Pierce, so he's just a generational hater. And I was playing. Um, 
we say, you know, we don't hold Kawhi Leonard as accountable as we do with other players in his situations, like Anthony Davis is a player that is just consistently hurt. Before you say what you're going to say, I, while I get what you're coming from about him being injured, but we've known for at least five to six years this man has a degenerative knee problem that's never going to get better. So him getting ACL surgery doesn't negate that. Like, it's still there. Right. Like, that's something different. And while I don't think we're not holding him accountable, I think we just, as a people, are being fair to what his situation is. And that's all it is to me. Like, that's fair. Like, he has a a knee that when he's done playing, I think he would prefer to be able to walk without a cane and play with and help his sons and daughter play basketball. That's what they choose to do, rather than prove something to y'all, which is he ain't got to prove nothing to y'all. Right. I think one. How many Finals MVPs Anthony Davis got? None. How many top three MVP finishes do Anthony Davis got? None. No, no, no. It's disrespectful to to compare Anthony Davis to Kawhi Leonard in any type of way. Like, Kawhi has proven enough that we don't have to question him the way that Anthony Davis is. The questions that are fair, though, is wondering, does this mean he's still hurt because they haven't said anything? Because managing the injury was one thing, coming off the bench, listening to minutes. That was one thing we understood. Oh, yeah, you don't want to just throw him back out there. But then, like, not playing at all gives off the vibe that he's hurt. Because even though Kawhi, he does have a degenerated knee. Um, so if there's any player in the league that should be on a a real load managing schedule, like he, he literally, what should have happened for Brandon Roy, like you literally don't need to play 80 games. You that That's kind of what Kawhi needs to be on. Um, that part. I'm not with disrespecting the play. Like, I'm for you, too, because you can't just turn it on just playing the playoffs. So I, I can't go that far because the playoffs isn't the only real season. Yeah, yeah, it's not at all. Absolutely. And it's false to put that in people's head and think that that's how it goes. Um, you need the regular season. You're not about to just show up in the playoffs against the best player in the world and think you're finna win the championship. Right. I haven't seen it done yet. Sure. Not once. Nobody. So it's not going to happen. So the only question I think is fair, though, is wondering, since he hasn't played, not just the he come off the bench, not just the men's restriction, just, dang, he's only played two games. It's wondering, is is it worse than what was initially thought? See, that's the only sure. thing that's fair. But compare him to Anthony Davis, which I— Like I said, not even necessarily— but No, I know what coach you're talking about, but, yeah. you know, he did say holding him accountable like someone like Anthony Davis. Yeah. It's a reason, It's a big difference, a big difference in the reason why. And that's not even the pile on Anthony Davis' injuries, but with Anthony Davis, it's always just a factor, a question, I should say, that people have of, is it— <laughs> it's the dog, you know. Like, like it's like is that, he, is he holding back, in. or is, is it that? Is that the question? Because right. it'd be a, a plethora of injuries. Why Kawhi is always a specific injury, so it's like that's a particular problem. Right. So that that's the only difference. That's the only thing that's fair. And and Paul Pierce know that it, with his Finals MVP, he wouldn't want to be compared to somebody without one. Also, so I am gonna hold Kawhi to that standard. That Anthony Davis is a really great player, all time great. He ain't Kawhi. Uh, on no level and like I said well, me personally cause this is how I feel I know we've had I had this talk with people in, um, in the on shout off of all network in our groups in our work group chat and I say you know I respect what players have done before to give them the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. and I think people forget that year in Toronto when he won a championship he really shouldn't have been playing them heavy minutes like that that year 
He like, did on one leg. Like he re- he was hurt that whole playoff round and played every game, every minute they asked him to. It's like how we question if maybe if that's what killed Blake Griffin in his career in Brook in um, and Detroit. Yeah, Detroit. He put so he put so much into it so he could get that soft label off of him to help Detroit get to the playoffs and get swept in the first round. I feel Kawhi Leonard put so much into that Toronto run that eventually is gonna he gonna pay for it at the end. I, I don't want him to. But because of how the how the body works, it's just gonna eventually. His his, 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 his body he, is definitely worse because of that run to the point that it's like yeah you need the lower manage before, but now you really like you really need to play sixty games a year on uh, some type of minutes restriction, and then maybe then you can ramp up your minutes in the playoffs. But like I feel like like back to backs and stuff like that for Kawhi is done. And like I said, we am to end it right here. I He's not a young player no more either, so it's, under, it's understood. And like I said, to wrap it up here, I feel like we're so far into this, you know, we're so people are so past the thought of low management because they feel like it's players trying to be healthy, not necessarily at the end of their careers, but to end their careers when they're done playing. Where at one point, remember we was for that's what people was for that. Like, oh, I don't want to be hurt when I'm an old man. It's like I don't get the flip on that. Like, I'm not I'm not necessarily for just missing games just because, but I'm also for playing. I guess that's kind of where the flip came because you get a sense of sometimes the players Pleasure. just don't want to play. But it is getting a little overboard now. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah, it's not all on the players. Like sometimes it literally is the medical staff, the team saying, "No, you're not playing tonight." Right? Yeah, that's a fact. The Sacramento Kings, the Air Fox hit a buzzer beater last night. Almost half court to beat the uh, Charlotte Hornets. Not the Charlotte Hornets. No, it was Charlotte Hornets. Right? Yeah, yeah. it was. It was yeah, Charlotte. 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 It was Charlotte. I've seen so many Charlotte Hornet games the last couple of days. Cause that's no, like, no, 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 no. Orlando. 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 Charlotte played Brooklyn. Brooklyn. I've been saying Orlando. Brought them I mean, back. Well, you have NBA TV, and you can watch League Pass on NBA TV. Charlotte and, and Orlando start to mix match some nights. They look like the same team some nights, even though Orlando is the better product right now. But De'Aaron Fox hit the game winner against the young Orlando Magic last night. I think they gave Sacramento their third win. Uh yeah, they should be three and five. I think they're three and five now. Three and five. They started off zero and four. I don't think nobody has Sacramento in the playoffs or even in the plan. I think they're a really good team this year. But I know a lot of people, um, looking back to last year, was kind of down on Sacramento because they, you know, when they especially after they made a trade for um, Halliburton for Sabonis, and which smart people thought. Regardless, as long as you trade one of the guards, you're going to get good value and you're going to get a player that matches his skill set. And I think with Darren Fox and Sabonis, you have that. This team, they got, when they go, they got Malik Monk over there in the offseason to strip up that off, that off guard spot with some scoring and shooting and some athleticism. Darren Fox and Malik Monk played at Kentucky together, so that relationship is also there. They got a lot they need to do to this roster, but just the willingness to even make that trade for Hallib, you know, that's a bonus trade last year and bring in Malik Monk and look like you're trying to put players around that fit instead of just drafting players just to see who sticks. Do you think at some point in the near future, Sacramento figures out a way to turn it around and even not get back to their Western Conference title contending with just being a competent franchise? I feel like Nobody's that's like that's slick a good move. 
like against the bonus going back to last year and bringing in Malik Monk over right. the offseason. I think honestly, uh, like I won't be surprised. I think Sacramento's still going. I'm not saying that they're going to make the play in, but I think they complete for it. I. I get why people are like, oh, I can't believe I traded Halliburton. He traded him for Sabonis, a young, you know what I mean, two-time All-Star who was playing solid this year. He's he's playing how he plays always. I think the Halliburton trade came down to the end of the day. They made a decision between Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox. Halliburton's playing really well right now, averaging 21-9. and nine. Um, Like, he's playing really, really well. And Indiana is 4-5. and five. Deion Fox is averaging 26 right now also, so, and they're three and five. So it's like, you know, I, I, you can't fault that for, for picking Swiper. That's just how I feel about it. You hire Mike Brown. Mike Brown has a track record of getting his team to play good defense, being, I guess, teams that play the, the right way. You know, he kind of come from that San Antonio Spurs lineage. Uh, then, you know, obviously with – the Warriors, he's become a championship, a champion, well, he's a champion with the Spurs too, but championship assistant coach with the Warriors, coach LeBron for those years. But he's supposed to bring some competence there basically, like to right. get them to play the right way and things like that. Get them to compete. And I do think that they're getting closer to that. I think they had a good draft. Everyone likes Keegan Murray. I think he fits well with uh, what they have there. I shout out to Keegan Murray. I, um, I didn't mean to overlook him. Malik Monk. I like Malik Monk being there. Um, like you said, the relationship him and De'Aaron Fox have. I'm a big fan of Davion Mitchell. I, I just like how he plays basketball. Um, I think Sacramento are trying to do the right things and are on the right track. If Keegan Keegan develops how they expect, and you have that with Sabonis and Fox, I I will be honest. I don't think Mike Brown is the coach for them to take them there. I feel like. We just get to an age of the NBA where I, I think younger coaches from a newer era should be getting some of these jobs, and I felt okay. the same with that. Um, but I get why you hire Mike Brown, but I think he I've seen I've seen Mike Brown as a head coach enough. I'm sorry, no disrespect. No, yeah. But I think they're going in the right direction. I personally think that De'Aaron Fox is better than Ty, Tyree, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, so I'm not mad. I never was mad about the trade, and Sabonis is a really solid player. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Like I said, don't know. If- I feel like you hired Mike Brown because you know you have a young team who could teeter. And at the end of the day, if nothing else, he's going to hold these young players accountable. You know, he's been an assistant, a championship assist, a championship assistant head coach over the past six years with Golden State. For eight years, how long it's been since they've been winning championships. But I forgot you, they picked up Kevin Herter. And Kevin, Kevin Herter is solid. We, tell you, we were talking about Kevin Herter earlier. <laughs> but, yeah, I think Sacramento has really done a lot. I think that he – and. You know, like say from the Sabonis trade, I think that Keegan Murray drafted also solidified that we were going to build a team based on not only drafting the best players, but the position players that we need as well. Which sometimes you have to do because sometimes you're not going to, when you don't get the number one, number two, number three pick, you kind of got to who fits in the slot that we need the most instead of just gathering talent because it's, it's 12 active spots, 15 roster spots in the NBA. Every spot matters as far as just constructing a team goes. And speaking of constructing teams, a 
lot of teams have been constructed really crazy over the past couple of years trying to figure out what works, whether it's analytically, physically on the court, or just based off who's our best player. To start the season, um, I'm, I'm talking about Toronto, I'm going to go ahead and say that now. To start the season off, they went uh, with Pascal at the five to start the season. Fred Van Vliet didn't play the other night, so they started Chris Boucher at the five, which uh, put the uh, Scotty Barnes, um, OG Adenobi at the wings, and basically Gary Trek running the fives. I know when Brad Stevens first got to Boston, he basically said that, um, you know, there's no more. His position in basketball is going to be your guard or wing or big. And just, that's how a lot of people go about it. When you see Toronto use versatile lineups like that, because, you know, because they have the skilled players to do that. When you see a team, you know, a team like Toronto, because they need that, does that show how far innovatively the game is going where you can even think we finna start a thin 6'10 guy at center when there's still real centers out there for real? I think – I think it shows how versatile some players are in the NBA. But – I still haven't seen a team win without having a competent center. Even the Warriors, every year the Warriors team, um, we're having Zaza as a starter, having Bogut, Kavar Looney. It, it just matters at some point. Um, yeah, you can win games like that. You can win regular season games like that. You can win playoff games like that. But in the end, when it comes out of the win, championships you're gonna eventually need that big and you just need a more versatile big because it's not even working necessarily with one style of big it's not even just a big a big that only can play in the paint or a big that only can play on the perimeter because even the earlier stages I'm just using Golden State as an example because that is kind of the blueprint that everyone is using because of the Draymond lineup that's what I look at when I see everybody want to go to the death lineup full time yeah. as a versatile lineup right yeah going to that full time and saying well we have especially once you get KD it's like alright well we got a 6'10 guy out there so we could we good but you still have Bogut who can dribble hand off at the top Kevon Looney can dribble hand off at the top they can have the ball face up make a decision without getting the ball stolen. They can shoot a free throw line jump shot. Uh, like, they they have more they talent on the perimeter. They don't mind defending on the wing. Or just don't leave them out there right. on the island. Like, like you, you, they're not doing it all game. If you leave them on the island, they're going to get cooked as any big man, as you say. But they can hold their ground. So, I, I think it's good that Toronto can do it. And Toronto is really talented. But having a competent big man. It's gonna be the difference in them not winning and the championship. They, like said, they do have with Chris Boucher and Preston Chua. They do have big men, but just not the traditional big men. Like I say for the players right. that you need, honestly. And like I said, I don't know if anybody has Toronto as a title contender, but I think it's like I said, I think it's just one of those things where you see the openness of the in the NBA to where even you would even think like this is gonna be. We're not even gonna worry about signing the center. Like we gonna figure, you know, we gonna we play. Gonna figure it out. Like I mean, the regular season you are gonna get some wins. Like, right, you are gonna, gonna get, get some wins. And I'm a fan of pressure. This game, I like Precious Achua's game. I would like him starting over Chris Boucher when they're going with a center out there. Right. They're like, and, and Chris Boucher, I, you he's know, not bad from either, though. winning, winning MVP in the G League to actually getting minutes in the NBA, I respect his game. But he has to take it to another level if they're gonna make it to the finals. Nah, yeah, because sure. Toronto's a lot of people sleeper pick um, in the East. 
So Scotty Barnes got to be more aggressive. I was watching uh, who they who they were playing up. And you know what? Uh, Dallas. He got. I his, think that's got, what people. He got his first shot and his first points. He went on to score like six straight buckets, but he got his first shot and his first point in the fourth quarter. Not like just his first mm. points, but he got his first shot attempt in the fourth quarter against Dallas the other night. I was like, yeah. And how I feel about Evan Mobley, I think that's how people feel about Scotty. It's like what gets them there is him taking that next step because he is that for that team. So Scotty, Scotty is supposed to be is supposed to be that guy too. A lot of people think really highly. Uh, you know, what I mean, other. Last year's rookie of the year. No, yeah, for sure. I know, you know, one thing he has worked on over the offseason that's been showing so far is his three-point shooting, which a lot of people was questioning coming into the league. So, like I said, keep making those strides. And I know he's down. He's at, what, that's at 14, right? 14 points right now. Probably yeah, 14, but um, a little under 15 again. Right. But you expect that to go up as the season go in and go on and they start getting back into their roles and what they're going to do well on the team. You brought up something earlier about, um, you know, Donovan Mitchell taking tough shots. And I'm not going to just talk about Donovan Mitchell. I'm just going to talk about the idea of taking tough shots because that's something I've been seeing a lot. You know, people have been talking about a lot lately. It started, you know, it's always been a conversation, but I feel like it's more now, especially with social media. So clips get put up so fast when somebody does shoot, make a tough shot. And I always just wonder, like, we talk about how there's no defense in the NBA. So... Like, are these tough shots that they're taking, are they actually taking tough shots or is it just good defense and we forget to recognize good defense when it's being played? So we just call it a tough shot. Right. So it's like, yeah, we see open layups when the offense, open layups, open jump shots when the offense does what it's designed to do. But sometimes, like, it's not a tough shot. Just say the defense played well and, you know, he just hit a shot over good defense because I feel like just saying it's a tough shot kind of discredits defense. I don't know if anybody else feels like that. That makes sense. But, you know, sometimes we got to stop judging players for taking tough shots and giving credit to defensive, you know, to great defensive schemes for, you know, getting them into that tough shot and just making it. But, right. Yeah, I fully agree with that message because that's literally what it is sometimes, for real. But other than that, you got anything else for this episode? Uh, no, nah, other than that, I've been meaning to do it, but I want to shout out Dennis Smith and his resurgence this year and him uh, getting the opportunity again and him being confident in his opportunity because that's been part of it too, working his way back from injury, then kind of losing his spot to Luca and just dealing with confidence issues and he's hooping. Um, I think he fits well when LaMelo gets there, so um, definitely appreciate uh, him just wanting to be in the NBA. Um, Surely. I trying to think that I have something else, but I think that's it, honestly. Uh, free Ant-Man from Minnesota. Yeah, definitely Free Ant-Man from Minnesota. Somebody, you uh, know what's funny? Uh, <laughs> I think it was after when he came out that he didn't get any dunks. He hadn't had any dunks all year. And I uh, quote tweeted the video with uh, Free Ant-Man. Somebody hit me and this is what I replied to that. You got who, how you going to have hoopers in your party? You don't know about basketball. <laughs> So I doubled down on that and I said it again. <laughs> I quote tweeted his tweet with that. Man, pretty at man from what they're doing in Minnesota. <laughs> David Finch is their coach, if I remember correctly. I remember you was asking me. I think it's still David Finch from last year. Yeah, we free at man. Free at man. <laughs> Just as always appreciate the supporters, uh, all the listeners to the pod, people that follow on social media, subscribed on YouTube. Uh, you know, you can find us anywhere podcasts are available. Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, all those cool places. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Hoover's Pod. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Search the Hoover's Pod. Follow us on IG, uh, the Hoover's underscore IG. 
Um, and yeah, that's all I got. All right. I'm John W. It's Fresh X. Well, we are the Hoopers.